heresy or something like that. Uh, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be here with y'all. Um, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 25. Hebrews is in the New Testament and towards the back end of the New Testament. And uh, today is the start of a new series. And every time that we do a new series, particularly a topical series, we tend to focus on one piece of scripture and then in an effort to highlight what the author of that piece of scripture is saying, we will look at other pieces of scripture. We will look at several scripture references today. So I hope you have all 66 books of the Bible memorized so that as we flow through each one of these passages, it's a quick page turn for you. Uh, And so with that being said, I'd love to just dive into our time. As I mentioned, we're starting a new series today. It's called Liturgy, the Work of the people, then that's actually what the word liturgy means. It means the work of the people. In Greco-Roman culture, at various times, the citizens or the people were called to respond to needs, both with ordinary work or extreme forms of work as a result of their citizenship. Ordinary work usually meant something like a public service, while extreme forms of work sometimes meant something like the call to war. The church, however, has often used liturgy to help construct an order of service. Uh, The liturgy uh, in the church is not only meant to guide us through our time in worship, but to provide avenues of response from the people of God. In its essence, liturgy is meant to help shape a people toward the values or significance of the organization, of the church service, for instance, or of the responsibility to our city. The church, like Storehouse McAllen, uses, we use liturgy in an effort to help shape and disciple the people of God, that is you, in your response toward the character of God. So all of the elements that we have here on a Sunday morning are intentionally and purposely thought through in an effort to direct you to the character of God. So all of the elements aren't simply randomly placed before you just so that we would seem cool. They are intentional and purposeful, again, to direct you to the person and character of God so that you would respond in worship. Over the next five weeks, we want to look at how Sunday liturgy not only shapes our understanding of Christ, but how the Sunday liturgy is actually formative for our Christian life. And as I began to prepare this series a couple of months back, I thought it would be necessary to uh, add another week, which is why we're going five weeks. Originally, we were going to be going four weeks. Uh, I thought it was necessary to add another week because I believe that if we were going to focus on several or differing aspects of the Sunday gathering, then we need to begin uh, by looking at 
the Sunday gathering. If the argument throughout this series is that the liturgy that we use on Sunday is formative, then we need to begin with why Sundays matter to begin with. Does that make sense? And so over the last couple of weeks, I began asking several people one simple question. And the question was, why does the Sunday gathering matter? Some of those people are in this room. I'm not going to embarrass you with your answers. But uh, I'm going to ask you, think about that for a second or two. Okay? Why does the Sunday gathering matter? Everyone that I asked had a good answer. Let me just tell you all that in case I didn't. Everyone that I asked had a good answer. Nobody said anything heretical. Nobody said anything bad. The answers were good. I received simple answers like, well, it matters because we worship Jesus, or it matters because of fellowship with one another. I even received answers from individuals who were really long in their text messages of books that they read. It just wasn't the Bible. And they gave really good answers towards why the Sunday gathering mattered. And again, they were correct. I even had individuals answer and leave me a question mark at the end of their answer because I guess we started playing Jeopardy. Um, when I asked them, why does it matter? They would say, what is worship? None of the answers were incorrect. I just love giving you a hard time. But none of the answers were incorrect. However, they were incomplete. And I would say this, even my answer at the beginning was incomplete because even as I began to dig through what I wanted to get to, it left me with more questions than it did answers. And over the last couple of weeks, uh, as we have prepared for this series, for instance, Eric and I would go back and forth on thinking through why the Sunday gathering matters. And as we would go back and forth, we would come up with some really nerdy, nifty, and creative answers, all of which were incomplete. They would leave us with more questions and, and, and not enough answers. We couldn't narrow it down. Even as I began doing my research and reading through the books, uh, everybody began to gave, uh, give an answer that was similar to everyone else's because it, we are the people of God and we are called to worship God. And again, that's not wrong. It still begs the question, but why does the Sunday gathering matter? And so before I give you my answer, right, before I give you my answer as to why the Sunday gathering matters, here's why I'm putting the question on the table, okay? Over the course of this season, that is from March up until now, the Sunday gathering has become less and less important specifically to the church. And I'm not just talking Storehouse McAllen. Now, at this point, I'm going to pause because before I move on, I want to be careful in what I'm about to say. Therefore, I think it's important for me to clarify a couple of things. Number one, I want to clarify that there are those who are not here today because of caution for their family, toward their family, and toward their loved ones. Uh, they're listening online. We love y'all, and we miss you, and I'm not talking to you right now. However, to those individuals who are here or not here as a result of caution for loved ones, 
my biggest word of encouragement would be to prayerfully consider a timeline for when you think it will be appropriate to gather again with your church family. I don't want our church family who's not here as a result of caution, I don't want him to be here because I want them to be not cautious. I just don't want them to be complacent. Now, mention that real quick, not talking to them. Then there are those who are not here today because Sunday isn't a great day of importance. Whether it's because we don't have coffee at the moment or our kids' ministry on pause, Sunday has lost its luster, which means or which leads me to wonder if the Sunday gathering was ever important to begin with. And then that leaves us. And I'm really glad that you're here. And so this question about why it matters isn't so much a question about numbers. This is a deeply theological question. So, why does it matter? Why does the Sunday gathering matter? According to several studies conducted over the last six months, the Sunday gathering and involvement of the life of the church has been on a steady decline. According to the Barna Group, over 30% of Christians have not watched a single online sermon since the season of COVID started. Other studies suggest that as much as 63% of Christians subscribe to this. Now, within those numbers, however accurate they are, whether it's the 30 or the 60%, within those numbers, there is a percentage of Christians that some would argue have completely walked away from the faith, have completely walked away from the church. That is, not only has their activity or involvement in the life of the church been put on pause, many of them have completely walked away. 71% of churches have reported that their attendance is flat or lower. What's interesting about this statistic is uh, back in April, I was part of a group with our church planning network called Acts 29, and we were thinking through, and everybody was kind of sharing some of their experiences as everybody pretty much became a televangelist. Everybody was pretty much sharing their experience on what they were doing and what was working and what wasn't, because there wasn't exactly a playbook for the season that is COVID. And one of the things that a lot of pastors began to realize at the beginning of of the outbreak of this pandemic was that the minute they moved online, all of the sudden their online numbers shot up that they might average 200 people on a Sunday and now over a thousand people were watching the sermon. And so everybody everybody got really excited. Everybody began to think through differing ways of how to connect digitally with the online world. And here we are six months later and online attendance included has dropped. It was really cool for the first four weeks, but not so much anymore. Missiologist Alan Hirsch wrote this. While the National Public Opinion Survey of 1,000 U.S. adults had a plus or minus 2% rate of error, when extrapolated to the general Christian population, when we blow these numbers up, or when we look at them essentially from a 50,000 foot view, there could be as many as 43 million people who decided to no longer attend church. 
earlier this month, Ligonier Ministries came out with the 2020 State of Theology Survey. You should check it out. It's free. It's amazing. Here's one of their findings. Over 30% of evangelicals say that Jesus was a great teacher, but that he was not God. <laughs> you preach that. Yeah. <laughs> To a larger percentage of Christians, the Sunday gathering does not hold much significance. And a part of the answer, you might add, would be, well, if the problem is their heart, it is the condition of their heart, and that is true, but it bleeds into something deeper. It bleeds into wondering whether or not they ever knew why it mattered. While I appreciated the answers that I received over the last couple of weeks, one of the answers I was kind of waiting for was, why does the Sunday gathering matter? I was really just waiting for, because that's what you do on Sundays. Though nobody gave that, so good job. Liturgy isn't simply, this, this series on liturgy, I'll say it that way, is not simply a time for you to realize that you need to be here in church, but you need to realize that the Sunday gathering is formative for the Christian life. So, here's my answer. After several weeks of bothering many of y'all with texts and bombarding you with uh, like, but why, but why, but why, trying to narrow it down, here's what I got. The Sunday gathering matters because it is the fruit of God's work marked by the resurrection of Jesus. I'll say that one more time. The Sunday gathering matters because it is the fruit of God's work marked by the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, Sunday is significant because it is the day in which Jesus rose from the dead. And the church, us here, the church is the fruit of his resurrection. Everything else that we do, so the answers that I was uh, given about worship, about fellowship, about singing, everything else we do is a direct response to the resurrection of Jesus. And to say or imply that Sunday does not hold significance for us is to have a poor and immature understanding of the resurrection. You cannot be a Christian apart from the resurrected Christ. We are here. You and I are here because of the resurrection. Every Sunday should be an Easter Sunday. Every single Sunday should be a celebration of the work of God in Christ for us, for Jesus is alive and well today. He is seated at the right hand of the Father today, and one day he will return to reclaim his bride, the church. And so as we read through our section in Hebrews, I want you to consider a few things. I want you to consider that the Sunday gathering begins with Jesus and not you. I also want you to consider that the, our worship on Sunday is the fruit of God's work for us. 
And so with that being said, I'd like to read this little section. Once again, if you just joined us, we are in Hebrews chapter 10. We are looking at verses 19 through 25. All right, here we go. Beginning in verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water." Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you this morning, may your grace be poured out onto us so that our worship would be directed toward the Lord Jesus and what he has done and for who he is. Lord, as we come before you this morning, may we humble ourselves so that we would be receptive to your word so that our hearts would be directed toward the cross of Jesus. Lord, as we come before you this morning, may we be eager to hear from you through your word and your Holy Spirit as he does a work in us. We ask all of this in the sweet name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to park in verses 19 through 21 first. Now, I'm going to give you just a quick heads up. We're going to go to different parts of Scripture in just a bit. And if I briefly look at my notes, we're going to be looking at another section in chapter 10 and one more section in chapter 7 of Hebrews in the event that you want to follow along because I don't think these are on the notes. Sorry, guys. Anyway, with that being said... In this section, the author of Hebrews begins with a reminder of what Jesus has provided for us through his work. And that is the ability, check it, the ability to enter into the presence of God. He says it this way, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to what? Enter the holy places. The reminder that he has for you and I is that Jesus has provided us uh, with the ability to enter into the presence of God, and Jesus has accomplished this in two ways, through his sacrifice and through his resurrection. Simple, done, okay? This section, once more, is a reminder of what Jesus has done. And that is that he has given us the ability to enter into the presence of God through his sacrifice and through his resurrection. If we're going to understand, or if we're going to begin to understand Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, then we must first begin with the promise of Jesus. 
The promise of God in Christ uh, did not begin in Isaiah or in Matthew chapter 1. The promise of Jesus began in the garden. And in the garden, God promised that he was sending one who would reconcile God to man. And that someone was God entering into human history as the man, Jesus Christ, stepping into our world and our mess, living a sinless life and dying our death on our behalf so that in him we might be reconciled to God. So it's not only if sin were to be forgiven, but if we were to find a new life, the sacrifice of Jesus was necessary, and I'll expand on that in just a moment. Previous to the atoning work of Jesus, the priests of the Old Testament had to sacrifice animals in order to cover the sins of people and their own sin before entering into the presence of God. This was a foreshadowing of what was to happen through Jesus. Jesus then was the final perfect an ultimate sacrifice, shedding his blood for sinners like you and me. It is because of the work of Jesus for us that we can confidently enter the presence of God. The author expands on this in verses uh, 19 and 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, by what? The blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. I want you to consider uh, some scripture references briefly. In Hebrews 7, the author says this, he, that is Jesus, has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus was the final, ultimate, and perfect sacrifice for sin. Elsewhere in Hebrews 10, the author writes, every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all, for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It is through the atoning work of Jesus for sinners that we can enter into the presence of God. So, why does his sacrifice matter? It matters because apart from the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, we would still be dead in our sin, which means there would be no new creation. Apart from the sacrifice, there would no, be no resurrection. If there was no resurrection, then there could be no new creation. 
Jesus provides us with the ability to enter into the presence of God through his sacrifice and his resurrection. So let's look at his resurrection briefly. Actually, pause. I want you to consider another scripture. This should be up on the screen. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about the dead are not raised. Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He repeats himself a lot, classic Paul. Right? Now, here's what he's saying. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are still dead in our sin. Our worship this morning would be in vain. Our walk in what we would call our newness of life would be in vain. But through his sacrifice, there is resurrection. And if there is resurrection, then that means there is a new creation. So let's look at that briefly. The resurrection marks the start of a new creation in Christ Jesus. And who is that new creation? The church. The church is that new creation. And Jesus has chosen to make himself known through the church. Listen to the Apostle Paul once more in Ephesians 3. He says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Jesus has chosen to reveal himself through the church. The church is the start of a new creation that is marked by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Part of the reason, I think, part of the reason the resurrection isn't awesome, and I don't mean awesome just as in cool, I mean awesome in terms of full of awe. But part of the reason the resurrection isn't awesome to the Christian is because we have become tolerant of our sin. The resurrection has become something more of convenience for us rather than a new creation in us through Jesus. But we don't hear a lot of amens for that. We tend to be more tolerant of our sin. Just tell me how to live my life. Give me the top three things. What's a good book on how to? Five key elements in worship. Tell me all about it. The church is the fruit of the resurrection, which means that at one point, each one of us was dead in our sin. 
And because of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross, we have been reconciled to God through Christ. That has been accomplished through his sacrifice and his resurrection. If we are serious about our sin, then the work and celebration of the resurrection would be at the center of our worship. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of the Sunday gathering. The church is the fruit of the resurrection. And so once again, to deny or imply that the Sunday gathering does not matter or is not important is to have a poor, immature, and unbiblical view of the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection marks the start of a new creation. So one more question, therefore, what do we do when we gather? Here's the practical, right? This is the practical side of it. Just tell me what to do, pastor. Read your Bible, okay? Here we go. That's what you can do. This is gonna be verses 22 through 25. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read these briefly. Here we go. He writes, let us, and, I want, and I'm gonna stop every once in a while, but here we go. Let us, who, is it, is it the individual or is it uh, the people of God? It's plural, so it means a group. It's talking about the people of God. Remember, I'm not talking about your private devotion or your private worship. I'm talking about us on the Sunday gathering. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The gathering, or if we want to be super cool, the communion of saints, right? The communion of saints means that as his church, we can draw near, we can confess Christ, and we can irritate one another. Okay? I'll say it this way. As a result of what God has done for us in Christ through his sacrifice and his resurrection, Communion, us here, communion requires three things. Communion requires presence, confession, and participation. This is all from verses 22 to 25. So let's begin with presence. Presence is us drawing near. Yes, we are drawing near to the throne of God. On Sunday morning, we come to worship and enter into the presence of God. But in order to do that, we need to be present. It's kind of simple. Like there's really nothing more to it. I could add more. Let me try. If we are going to enter into the presence of God as a result of what Jesus has done for us, then we need to be present on Sunday. We need to be present on Sunday. As a result, as we draw near to him in confidence, you've got to understand what that means. 
that means that we can draw near. We can draw near to God because we have been made clean by Jesus. There there is no sacrifice to be made. The sacrifice has already been made. There is no further redemption to be had. No matter how many UFC promo videos say, I want a shot at redemption, there is no more redemption to be made. You have been purchased out of your slavery to sin and you have been bought by the blood of Christ. Therefore, you belong to him. And as a result, you can enter into the presence of God clean. Are Sundays holy because of the building? No, this is just the McAllen Creative Incubator at 601 North Main Street. Sundays are holy because of the gathered saints and the work of God in Christ for them. Remember, because of what Jesus has done, we collectively here on Sunday can enter into the presence of God clean. We can enter into the presence of God clean and forgiven. Consider Hebrews 4. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that way, or excuse me, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Apostle John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sunday mornings begin with the resurrection. The church is the fruit of the resurrection. And if we actually consider that, if we actually take that seriously, then drawing near is a big deal because there is no more sacrifice to be made to enter into the presence of God for Jesus has accomplished that through his atoning work on the cross for us. So communion requires presence. Number two, communion requires confession. What does he say? Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. On Sundays, when we gather to worship, we gather to confess Christ. We gather to confess Christ. Now this happens a number of ways. Like here's the thing about this series as we began to just go back and forth on that. There is so much happening on Sunday morning outside the coffee that we don't have right now and outside of these like new protocols because of the season. Apart from all of those things, there is a lot happening on Sundays. Therefore, one of those things is that we as the church confess Christ, and we do this in a number of ways. We do this as we adopt a posture of humility. That's the first one. 
Now, adopting a posture of humility is incredibly important because you and I are sinful. Here on Sunday, there's not a single one of us that is without sin. And so we confess that Jesus is the Christ, that he has redeemed us and made us new because of the resurrection, he has made us new. Therefore, when we confess him, we are adopting a posture of humility because not a single one of us here is without sin. You did nothing to contribute to your salvation. Let me, let me, let me back up a little bit. You did do something, right? You, you contributed your sin. That's what you contributed to your salvation, your sin. When we confess Christ, we adopt a posture of humility because we are a people saved by his grace and in need of a savior. When we confess Christ in humility, we encourage one another. One of the things the author writes here is, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Some of you have had a really hard season. Sometimes it's been very challenging. Part of the Sunday gathering is so that in humility, we would pick one another up, that we would encourage one another, that identify those who have had a hard season, who have had a troubling season or a challenging season, and lift them up. Sundays are for you. They're just not about you. On Sundays, as we worship and listen to the preach word and sing songs and and all those various aspects, it's so that we would be recipients of God's grace and that that grace would extend through us. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Finally, when we confess Christ in humility, humility breeds worship. I want you to listen to Matthew 28. This is verses three through nine. This is shortly after the resurrection. Matthew writes, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and what? Worshiped him. The resurrection is the start of a new creation in Christ. Therefore, when we gather on Sunday and when we confess Christ in humility, it breeds worship. 
It breeds worship. Number two, in the same, in the same vein, I know I'm getting kind of confusing, but in the same vein, under confessing Christ, so we confess Christ in humility, we confess Christ in terms of evangelism. You see, when we come together and we praise God for what he has done for us in Christ, we evangelize the beauty of Christ to sinners. We evangelize that Jesus is worth worshiping. We evangelize that we are a new creation as a result of the work of another. And finally, actually, no, let me keep going. When we confess Christ in humility and evangelism and citizenship, here's what I mean by that. When we gather to worship and sing Christ, it is a fragment of a picture of heaven. It's a little picture of what heaven will be like. Finally, participation. So we looked at uh, presence, confession, and participation. This is the part where, where we irritate one another. Now I say that because that's, that's the meaning of the phrase stir up. But anyway, before I get there, let's read that last part. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In this last section, in these last two verses, there is an urgency of our responsibility toward one another. When he uses the word consider, what he means is to direct our attention to one another that our attention is turned to and directed to the saints first. So when we gather on Sundays, yes, we are worshiping Christ. We are recipients of his grace so that that grace would be extended through us toward one another. And then he uses stir up. What does that mean? It means to irritate one another. Proverbs 27 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Like when iron is being sharpened, there is friction, there are sparks. The end result is nice and awesome and beautiful, but the process of itself, it has some friction. Which means that as we stir one another up, as we irritate one another, we are not doing it for the purpose of being irritating. We are doing it for the purpose to grow in love for one another and those who don't know Jesus. We are doing it so that we would do good works and encouragement. This section is an accountability of us encouraging one another to direct our eyes and hearts to Christ. Think about the season. Think about how hard it has been or challenging or devastating to many. And even when we were not sure of what was going to happen next, how quickly our views became internal. 
within the context of the Sunday morning, a passage like this turns that upside down because what the author is saying is that you and I need to consider, in other words, we need to direct our attention to one another. And as a result, there is an accountability that you and I have toward one another in encouraging one another. Yes, it begins here on Sunday morning, and it is carried out throughout the week. In short, the gathering, in the gathering, we receive the grace of God so that we can extend that to one another and those who don't know Jesus. Here's what I'll say, and I'm closing. There are saints who aren't here today, not because of caution. I'm not talking about them. There are saints who are not here because the resurrection is something of convenience and not worship. Our response, remember liturgy means the work of the people. Our response here, here in the context of Sunday is to worship. And as you leave, as you leave this building, you and I have a responsibility to hold one another accountable to be here, particularly as the day draws near. Hebrews 3, the author says, let us encourage one another as long as it is called today. Man, I love that y'all are here. And have you been following up with one another? There are saints who are not here, not because of caution, but because the resurrection is a convenience. I'm just gonna put my cards on the table. It's not just up to me to go after them. It's your job. That's what he says here. Thanks, man. It is your job. This is how he concludes. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. In other words, there have been some people in this church that have already begun to pull away. Habit means that they've made it a regular practice. He begins with the saints to go after the saints. And as a result of the season that we find ourselves in when it comes to COVID and everything going online and digital connectivity being the thing, one of the most significant roles that the church, that is the people, that is you, one of the most significant roles that the church is going to have is going to be going after one another. To stir up one another to love and good works. To encourage one another The Sunday gathering matters because the resurrection matters. None of us would be here apart from the resurrection. We would be, as Paul says, dead in our sin. The Sunday gathering is formative because as recipients of grace, we have been empowered to edify and admonish one another to walk out our new life throughout the week. The season of COVID, let's just say it ended tomorrow. Things still wouldn't change. In other words, we wouldn't go back to normal like that. The church has 
endured hardship and damage. And so as a result, you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, not just to go after the saints, but to seriously consider what does it mean to worship on Sunday morning. As we walked through 2 Timothy a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that was made evident was this. The programs and the ministries are closed right now. Particularly if you are a parent, all the family discipleship is on your shoulders. And you might even feel it. You're like, oh my God, yes, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. The church comes alongside of you as you move forward forward. So not the agas. Okay. The Sunday gathering is formative because there's not a single person in here who contributed to their salvation. We worship Jesus, not you. So Christian, is the gathering of saints on Sunday important to you? Is it a place where you consume for your benefit rather than the edification of the church? If that is so, repent. Part of confession as a church, why that is so powerful is because it should, I hate that I have to say it that way, it should prevent self-righteousness. So, if that's you, confess your sin, repent, fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus. The challenges are gonna keep coming. Does the Sunday morning or does the Sunday gathering matter? Does it matter to you? If it doesn't, it's not because, oh, the music just doesn't do it for me and the preacher moves up and down and he has a beard. It's not that. It's because it's the resurrection doesn't matter to you. That's, that's where it's at. It's because the resurrection doesn't matter. Oh man, it's because I want to see all my friends. Yes, that's a result. The resurrection is the center of Sunday gatherings. So even if you got good reasons, the question is, is the resurrection at the heart of your worship? And if you're not a Christian, I hope this gives you insight into why the church gathers on Sunday. Our God, the Lord Jesus, is alive, which means that you can come to know him. Hope is available to you if you would but repent and believe that he is the Christ. How do you know? He reveals himself through the church. The Sunday gathering matters because the church is the fruit of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, if we are honest in our prayer, 
if we're honest in our prayer, then uh, we don't always consider the Sunday gathering important. Not because we don't want to see one another, not because we enjoy worshiping and singing songs uh, in your name, but, but, but because the truth is we might not even know why we gather. And so, Lord, I hope that this morning, through your word and the work of Christ, that we would be encouraged that the reason, the primary reason that we gather is because the resurrection matters. It is because we, the church, are a new creation a new creation that uh, is the result of Jesus' work on the cross for us. That is to say that he was thinking about us, knowing the joy that lay on the other side. In light of his resurrection, not only did he conquer sin, Satan, hell, and demons, but it was the start of a new creation. God, in your word, you write that through one man, uh, through one man's disobedience, death came to all. But through one man's obedience, that is Christ, righteousness was imparted to sinners. God, my, my prayer is that we would not lose sight of the resurrection, that it would never become uh, an event of convenience, and that when we gather on Sundays, that is what we're celebrating, that is what we're praising. We are here because of Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection. Therefore, we can draw near. We can enter into your presence together. We can confess boldly that Jesus is the Christ. We can be humbled knowing what Jesus has done for us. We can participate in irritating one another toward love and good works to encourage one another, to pick one another up. And when we do, to direct our hearts and minds to the person and work of Jesus. God, there are brothers and sisters that we know that are slipping away a little. Perhaps they, they, they don't view the, the, the Sunday gathering as significant God, I pray that, that we would have the courage to stir them to love and good works. To avoid the habit of neglecting the gathering. God, we have brothers and sisters who, who are not here who have been deeply impacted by, by COVID-19, the season of coronavirus. And so, Lord, we pray for them because they are trying to do what is best for their family as they seek caution and prioritize love for one another and certainly their neighbors. And we are thankful for their faithfulness. And we also pray that they would not grow complacent. And the truth is, Lord, we miss them. And we cannot wait to worship alongside them. Lord, as we just spend some time in prayer, would you humble us, Lord? 
Would we lay out our sin right before you and be reminded of what you say through John, that if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful to forgive and cleanse us of unrighteousness. May we do that now so that we are humbled. May we do that now so that you would meet us where we are with your grace. May we do that now so that we would worship the name of Jesus loudly this morning. May we do that now so that we would be empowered to walk in a newness of life as a result of the Spirit residing in us. God, we are thankful for this time together. We are thankful for your word and grateful for your grace. And I don't think that word is sufficient, but it's all we have. So Holy Spirit, would you continue to do a work in us this morning as we spend some some time in prayer, as we sing loudly, would you do a work in us to conform us into the image of Jesus? We ask these things in his name. Amen.